today on Standing on the Word. So the last warning deals with the scriptures, the Bible, the, what you have in your hands right there. And I look around the room and most of you have one in your hands. You don't mess with God's Word. And it's a sobering warning. This is no slap on the wrist if you mess with it. Look what it says. I, I want to read it to you and then we'll get into our points. But look what it says. If you add to these words, then you're going, I want to add unto you the plagues. And the, the, the plague that is most closely connected to this verse is hell. I'll add unto you hell if you mess with my book. That's serious. You're listening to Standing in the Gap. Standing for truth in a fallen world. Welcome to Standing in the Gap, Standing on the Word, a verse-by-verse study of the Bible and the powerful truths that are revealed throughout God's Holy Word. I'm your host, Mike Cross. Today we'll hear from Josh Tompkins, who is pastor and Bible teacher at West End Baptist Church, as we learn about God's warnings to us and adding to and taking away from His Word. And now from his sermon titled, The Last Warning, here's Josh. We have made it all the way through. It's kind of bittersweet for me. I started about almost two years ago, Revelation 1-1. And we've made this journey through the book, and you guys have let me do that. You guys have been a part of that. Some of you have been here through almost every one of the sermons. I know my wife has probably listened to every single sermon in Revelation. Uh, so you guys probably need to pray for her. She hears me a lot. Uh, but this has been a great journey. I've enjoyed it. It is uh, Here we are on the last page now, and these are the last words. Not just the last words of Revelation, but as you turn your Bible there to Revelation 22, you're going to see that this is the last, not just the last page of Revelation, the last page of the Bible. The last words in the Bible. And, and I look forward to preaching them to you, to you tonight because this is a, a perfect ending to the Bible. Not just a perfect ending to Revelation. As we get here in this last page, this is what God does for us. And, and I love the brilliance, the brilliant mind of Almighty God. That as He gives us this last page, what's He going to say? What's He going to say to us on the last page of Revelation, on the last page of Bible? The, the, the last thing that God will say to us, reveal to us until we see Him. And the last thing he does is give us a warning. And I title the sermon, The Last Warning. And this, all warnings we ought to pay attention to. Anytime you're given a warning, you ought to, your eyes ought to open and you ought to snap to attention and say, I need to pay attention to what, whatever's being said to me here. But the last warning is always the most important warning, warning, right? It's like when you're talking to your kids and you've given them already two or three warnings. The first one, they're like, yeah, you know, dad's kind of serious. The second one, they're like, ah, you know, maybe he's getting a little bit more serious. But when you start counting to three, it's getting real serious. And you start saying, okay, on the count of three, and this is the last warning. This is it. This is all you get, and I'm going to wear your butt out if you don't do what I'm going to say here. So you start counting one, and they sit there and just look at you. Two, and they sit there still looking at you. And you get to three, and you start getting ready to whip them. That's when they start paying attention. The last warning. When they know it's serious. And this is what this is tonight. It's the last warning. And there's a lot to learn here, but there's something that we really need to pay attention to. This last warning is a warning about Scripture. So let's stand together. And I want to read these verses to you. I'm going to read all four verses here. But we're only going to look at 18 and 19. I'll just kind of say 20 and 21 as we get to the end. We've already touched on uh, both of those sayings in 20 and 21. But I, I want our eyes to be on verses 18 and 19. I want to spend the entirety of this sermon tonight just eyes peeled on what this warning and these two verses give to us. This is the last warning in Scripture on Scripture. Revelation 22, verse 18. And this is bittersweet for me. So, I mean, just, you start a book and, and then you get to end it. Uh, it it's just a, a, a joy. 
Uh, so verse 18, For I testify, and I believe these words ought to be in red. That's Christ's words. For I testify unto every man that heareth the words of this prophecy of this book. If any man shall add unto these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. And if any man shall take away from the words of this book of the prophecy, God shall take away his part of the book of life out of, and out of the holy city and from the things which are written in this book. He which testifieth these things saith, Surely I come quickly. Amen. Even so, come Lord Jesus. Verse 21. I love how he ends it. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Let's pray together and then we'll study these verses. Father, we thank you for your word. As we will be preaching from your word, on your word tonight, I ask for your help. I love your word. I'm like the psalmist. I love all your laws. I love all your statutes. I love every word in this book. And God, I pray that you'd help us to hear this warning tonight that comes directly from your mouth to us. Help us to heed this warning, to pay attention to this warning, to watch out for people that are trying to, to do what this warning says not to do. Please help me, God, to be clear. Help me to be precise. Help me to do my best to present these truths in a way that would honor you and in a way that would edify the people sitting in the pews here tonight. We all need to hear this warning. The world needs to hear this warning. So help us tonight, and we ask and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me give you an example as you're sitting down, just an example of a warning that I did not heed, a warning that, that uh, come back to bite me, if you, if you want to say it that way. I was doing some pressure washing a while back. Several years ago, I'd never done pressure washing before in my life. Steph can attest to this being a true story. And you give me a tool like that, and I'm going to pressure wash everything that I can find. Uh, I asked Steph the other day, I said, will you buy me a chainsaw? She said, no, I'm not buying you a chainsaw. You will cut down every tree in our yard. And that's just the truth of the matter. Me and my boys will be out there cutting down her rose bushes, you know. Uh, so you give me a tool like that, and I'm just going to go to town with it. And that's what happened. Somebody let me borrow a pressure washer uh, several years ago. It was before I even moved here. And on the top of that pressure washer, there was a big red warning sign that warned me that this is going to get very, very hot if you touch it. If you use this pressure washer, do not touch this, this, this place right here. And it was big red and big words warning, do not touch. And it's telling me that if I touch that, it's going to burn me, right? That's what the warning is. I read that. I understood that. But for some reason, after I got tired and I reached down there to turn that thing off, the first place my hand went was right where that warning sign was. And as I went down there, I come up, big blister come up on my hand. It was one of the worst burns I ever had. And I, I, from that moment on, I said, you know what? I need to start paying better attention to the warnings. And I think if you, any time you cross the line past a warning, somebody's saying, hey, you don't need to do that. Your, your parents trying to give you warnings. My, I give my kids warnings all the time. And they think I'm silly. They, get, they think, oh, Dad, he has no idea what he's talking about. No, I'm out for your good. Warnings are there for our own good. For our own sake. It's telling us caution. There's danger ahead. You don't want to do this. If you touch that surface, you will get burned and burned badly. Warnings are good for us. We need to proceed with caution when we see a warning. And the Bible is full of, I think you know that, the Bible is full of warnings. There's example after example of warnings everywhere we turn. I mean, starting in Genesis, I think it's Genesis 2, that, that God comes to Adam and Eve and gives them the very first warning. If you touch, if you eat of this tree, then you shall surely, get that? If you eat of this, you will die. There's the first warning. Adam and Eve, 
Don't eat. If you do, you'll die. What does Adam and Eve go and do? Just like a kid, just like me with a pressure washer. Like, I think I want to eat of that. Tempted by Satan and they go and eat of that. And what happens when God warns us, he always follows through on the outcome. They did die. And we've been feeling the consequences of their death and their punishment ever since. I can go even further. Did God warn the whole world before the flood? You better believe God warned the world. He let everybody know there's judgment that's going to come. I mean, over and over, almost a thousand years were the warnings that he was giving to the, to the whole world. Judgment is coming. If you don't repent, you'll perish. How many was left? Eight. God didn't. And this is how gracious and patient our God is that he didn't close the door until the last second. Still offering the opportunity at the last second. That's what God is doing here even in Revelation as he gives the invitation. He's giving one last chance. He's not going to close the book without one last invitation. Israel gets repeated warning after warning after warning in the, in the Old Testament. And they repeatedly cross the line that God sets for them. Acts 17.30, as you get to the New Testament, God gives a warning. This warning goes out to the whole world. It says, and the times of ignorance God winked at, but now he commands all men everywhere to repent. That's what he says to do. Repent or else. That's the warning. Repent or what? Because he hath appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man. That man is the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who has risen from the dead. He is going to judge the world by the Lord Jesus Christ. And the world must repent or they'll face that judgment. It's a warning. Our God is a God that gives warnings. Get this truth. God never judges without giving a warning first. I love that about God. He always says, whoa. He always says, hold up. He always says, don't touch. Don't eat of the tree. Uh, repent and turn back to me. He gives repeated warnings. I'll even go further. The whole book of Revelation is a big universal warning of universal judgment on the way. I mean, if you read the book of Revelation and it doesn't put a little bit of fear in you, even as believers, I sit and tremble at some of the things we've seen in this. I went back this week and looked at some of the titles of my sermons. Hell on Earth, Judgment Day. It's just over and over, repeatedly. God is telling us it's coming. Judgment is on the way. Warning after warning after warning. And understand, history tells us the trustworthiness of God tells us that these are not empty threats. God always follows through, and He will always follow through on His threats. What He says is going to happen in this book will happen in this book. If you here tonight do not repent of your sins, you will be judged. It's not an empty threat. It's, it's a warning. It's truth. So we must never ignore the gracious warnings of Almighty God. Don't you love that about God? He, he always warns us. I want to give my kids warnings. You never just uh, walk up on your kids and whip them, you know? What was that for? I don't know. just wanted to do it. <laughs> Sometimes I feel like it, but I don't. <laughs> you'll, you'll need it later if you don't need it now. <laughs> God doesn't just judge for no reason. God always gives warnings. He today, even in preaching from here, is giving warnings to people. Some of you sitting in the pew now, you're getting a warning. The judgment's coming, and you need to repent and turn to the Lord Jesus Christ before it's too late. It's a warning. And for you to, to disregard that warning is more silly and more foolish than me putting my hand on a hot pressure washer. 
You're putting your whole soul at risk, not of a hot pressure washer, but of a blazing hot hail, to not heed his warnings. So as I say, the Bible is full of these warnings, and this one here is the Bible's last warning. And this last warning, as we look at it, is not your normal warning. This final one, what would you expect it to be? One last warning of hell? No, it's the last page of Revelation, the last page of Bible. So on the last page of the Bible, God gives us a final warning on the Bible. The final warning of Scripture is about Scripture. And He's done this throughout. I know that as you look at these verses, verses 18 and 19, He's telling us, don't touch my word. Don't mess with my word. Don't twist my word. Don't deny my word. Don't, don't destroy my word. Don't you touch my word. He's telling us that. That's the warning. He's telling us, I have a copyright on this, is what God's saying, and you have no right to do anything you want with it. It is my word. And it's not just, I hear people say that, oh, this just means don't touch Revelation. There's some cults that say that, oh, we, can, we don't touch Revelation, but we, we can touch and mess with every other book in the Bible. No, 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 no. I want to show you this. This isn't the first time he's given this warning. Deuteronomy 4, Deuteronomy 12. He gives a, in the last books of the, the Pentateuch, he gives a warning, don't touch it. You go into, get this, that's the Pentateuch, that's the books that, that Moses wrote. You go into Jeremiah 26.2, and he gives a warning, that's the prophets. That's every part of the, of the Old Testament. One more, Proverbs 30 is the wisdom books, so he's given a, a warning after every section of the Old Testament. After the Pentateuch, the first five books, after Jeremiah, he has all the prophets. After Proverbs, at, at the end, of that, that includes all the wisdom books. And then we go into Revelation, that includes all of the New Testament. So now God is telling us very clearly, you have no right to do what you want with my word. Don't touch it. That's what he's saying here. It's, it's every book. It's the, the entire Bible. This is a serious warning. And this shows us how serious God takes his word. We ought to take his word as serious as he takes his word. That's what he's saying here. That's the, that's the main point. That God takes his word very seriously. And we ought to do the same. This is why we stand when we read the Word of God. We revere it. We respect it. We honor the Word of God. And I'll show you why in just a second. But God takes His Word very, very seriously. And we have no right to mess with it. He'll say here in a second, if you mess with my Word, you mess with me. That's serious, is it not? That's a serious warning. So the last warning deals with the Scriptures, the Bible, the, what you have in your hands right there. And I look around the room, and most of you have one in your hands. You don't mess with God's Word. And it's a sobering warning. This is no slap on the wrist if you mess with it. Look what it says. I, I want to read it to you, and then we'll get into our points. But look what it says. If you add to these words, then you're going, I want to add unto you the plagues. And the, the, the plague that is most closely connected to this verse is hell. I'll add unto you hell if you mess with my book. That's serious. When your kids look at you and say, what are you going to do? <laughs> you know, take my phone away? Whip me? Put me in my room? No, he's serious here. This isn't a little... This is, this is harsh. If you mess with his word, you mess with God. So let's look at it. This last warning. I'm going to give you three headings just as we work our way through this. The first one I want to show you is the inerrancy of Scripture. And I want to explain what that word means, inerrancy of Scripture. It means that there, the Word of God is without error. 
It is perfect. You say, how do you get that in verse 18? Well, I get that in verse 18. Look what it says. For I, I testify. Do you see that? For I testify unto every man that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book. That testifies, I, I witness to. I verify the words of this book. That's Jesus speaking. I, I verify these things. I, as, as God is my witness, these are the very words of Almighty God. He's testifying. And it's not just here. You can see it in, look at verse 6 with me. And he said unto me, look, look what it says. These sayings, these sayings, the words here are faithful and true. You, you see that? And then it says in verse 10, and he says unto me, seal not the sayings of the prophecy of this book, for the time is at hand. This is the, the, in, the priority throughout the last chapter of Revelation. He wants us to see how serious his words are. Look, look with me again at verse 6. I, I want you to go back there. These sayings, the words here, are faithful and true. This is his witness. I testify to the words of God. And look at how we got his words. I love this. And he said unto me, verse 6, These sayings are faithful and true. And the Lord God of the holy prophets, we preached this just a, about a month ago, the Lord God of the holy prophets sent his angel to show unto his servants the things which must shortly be done. Do you see the order of things there? It started with the God of the holy prophets who sent his messenger, his angel, that's, a, that's the servant that's going to come and, and relay the message. So the, the word started with God in heaven. They started at the throne room of God. This is God speaking to us. And it went from God through an angel, which is a messenger, came down from the messenger unto us. You see, the order of things started with God, angel, which is a messenger, and then it got into our hands. This book comes from, get this, I love this, not from society, not from tradition, not from religious institutions, not from universities, not from the ivory towers. This book comes from Almighty God. I love that. It's, the Bible says of itself that it is God-breathed. The Greek word is theonoustos, that it was the Holy Spirit breathed upon these men as they, they wrote it down. God is the author. There's only one author to the Bible, but there are many writers. God is the author of this book. Men, the Bible says, were carried along by the Spirit as they wrote. I like to imagine in my mind, and it may not be theologically accurate, but imagine it in your mind this way, that as these men wrote these words down, and not just Revelation, but all of the New Testament and all the Old Testament, as they were writing these things down, the Holy Spirit was breathing upon their pen. It was the, the wind in their sails showing them what to say and how to say it. This word came from Almighty God. Now here's how this works. This book, the whole Bible, in coming from God, God is the author. Understand this. The words are God's words. And God is perfect. So every word that God gives must be perfect. It must be inerrant. God doesn't speak words with error. God doesn't speak words that are mistakes. Our God being a perfect God has relayed to us a perfect book. I love that. God makes no mistakes. The Scriptures are inerrant. The Scriptures are perfect. The, the Scriptures are infallible. The Scriptures are without a single error. You, got, you believe that. I know science may say we're foolish for that, but I stand up on that truth that every word of the Bible is true. 
And we need to stand on that truth. In a world that keeps on falling away, we stand on that. I'm not ashamed of it. Unequivocally, I will stand for the Word of God. You say, so what does that mean? I want to show you how the Scriptures are perfect. Don't you love that? A perfect God sent us a perfect book. And we have it in our hands. And that's why I just want to say, don't mess with it. You don't mess with perfection, do you? No. My wife comes up to me. She'll say, how do you think I look? I say, you're perfect. I wouldn't change a thing. She, in my eyes, she's perfect. This book is perfect. We don't change a thing. And it being perfect, let me just give you a few things here. Scripture is perfect in its wording. I know this is, this is maybe a little heady, but watch this. It is verbally flawless. Some people would say it's all just, just in what it teaches is flawless. No, I believe that, but it's also verbally flawless. Psalm 12, verse 6 says the words of the Lord. Do you see that? The words of the Lord are pure words. Verse 7 says, And thou shalt keep them, O Lord. Thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. His words are pure words. I love Psalm 119, 140. Thy word is very. It says very there. Uh, who puts very in front of pure? That's what he says there. Thy words are very pure. Perfect. They're words. This is not generally speaking. This is perfectly speaking, these words. I'll give you another one. If you want another one, the Scripture is perfect in its wording. The Scripture is perfect in its teaching. Everything it teaches is perfect. The doctrine, the theology, it never contradicts itself. It teaches nothing false. It is without error. Everything that it teaches is perfect. What it teaches about the origins of the world is perfect. You have scientists that will say one thing, and it seems like it's changing every day. Well, the, the, the earth is this many billions and billions and trillions and gazillion years old, and they keep on changing it every day, and they wasn't even there. You know what? I'll take God's record, who was there and who created it all by the words of His mouth, but I'll take the words of any scientist. Oh, it was a big bang. Oh, it was this. Oh, it was a big bang. God spoke and big bang, it was created. So when it speaks to the origins of the world, it's perfect. When God says six days and He rested on the seventh, you know, you know what that means? A day won a thousand years. When God says six days and He rested on the seventh, you know what that means? He, rest, he, he worked six days and He rested on the seventh. It's not that hard. When the Bible speaks on man's problem, <laughs> man's problem is not how I was raised. It was not where I was raised, or not my parents. Man's problem is, what the Bible says it is, a deep-seated sin that corrupts me down to the very core of who I am. That's the problem. That's the problem with the world. That's the problem with, with mankind. We have a problem. It's a, a sin problem. And the Bible makes that abundantly clear that our problem is sin. And the Bible says that. You know what it means? It's true. Let me give you another one. The Bible is true on man's one solution. If man's problem is sin, then God then turns and gives us man's solution in the Lord Jesus Christ who came down from heaven as a son of God and lived a perfect life, went to a cross, and he who knew no sin became sin for me that I might become the righteousness of God in him. Jesus is the solution to man's problem. The Bible's true. I believe those words. 
Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no man gets to God but by me. You know what? I believe he said that. Those words are pure. <laughs> when he says we're saved by grace, I believe those words. It ain't my works that gets me into heaven. When he says we're saved by putting our faith in Christ, I believe those words. I'll give you another one. What the Bible teaches about the family? Oh, it's true. Oh, the world and the university will tell us one thing. I saw something the other day that said we are progressing as a culture and we're getting to the point when marriage is something that's just old-fashioned we don't need to do it anymore. Liars. I mean, that's, that's just a lie. That's just nonsense. I'm going to go back to what the Word of God says and the Word of God says marriage is good. Family is right. Here's how it goes. And I'm going to stand upon what He says as a family. How it ought to go. Where it ought to be. This is what the Bible says. And you know what? It's perfect. I'll give you another one. <laughs> if you guys like this. Well, what the Bible says on the church is perfect. I don't need man's ideologies on what the church ought to be doing. I don't need to listen to the culture. I don't need to send out uh, questions to the community and say, what do you guys think we ought to be here? I just need to open up the Word of God and He says, here's what you shall be here. And you know what I need to do? Stand on that. I don't care what they say. What they say is lies. What He says is perfect truth. Well, that's, that's good stuff there. I believe the words of God on everything, not on just what I like. There's some things in here I don't, I don't say don't like, but hurts sometimes. Even the hard things, you know what I do? The words of God are pure. I trust it. I rely on it. I stand upon it, even if it's hard. I'll give you another one, Revelation. What the Bible says on the end times is perfect. I believe every word that the book of Revelation says. And I'm not going to spiritualize it to where it means something that one person says this and another person says that. I'm going to take it literally. I'm going to take it uh, exactly how he wrote it out here. And I'm going to stand upon those things. As God says it will happen, guess what? It's going to happen. His words are perfect. His words are, are pure. What, what, what the Bible says about God, it's perfect. What the Bible says about Jesus, it's perfect. What the Bible says about the Holy Spirit, it's perfect. What the Bible says about everything it says about is perfect. This is a, a perfect book. Scripture is perfect in every part. In its history, in its geography, in its dates, in its names, in every way. This is a big deal. I cannot exaggerate the importance of the inerrancy of Scripture. You say, well, why are you making such a big deal out of this? Josh, it's Sunday night. Last sermon. Quit sweating so much. No, 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 no. If the Bible's unreliable, if the Bible's wrong, then I'm wrong on everything in life. I also even say this, if the Bible's wrong in one little place, then it could be wrong in every little place. If you say, oh, I think this is a little bit wrong here, then you just open yourself up to everything being wrong. No, if the Bible's unreliable, if the Bible's wrong in any way, then I'm wrong then I'm completely and shamefully and eternally wrong on everything. I stake my whole life. I stake my whole family. I stake my whole ministry. I stake my whole preaching service. I stake everything, my, my eternity on these words being true. I stand on these things. I stand up here and preach because I believe these words are true. Charles Spurgeon said this, If I did not believe in the absolute inerrancy of Scripture, I would never enter the pulpit again. 
That's me. If there was one question, one doubt about what this Bible said, then I would walk up through here and sit back down over there because I have nothing to say. I have nothing to stand upon. I have nothing to lean upon. All I have is, is my thoughts and my opinions. But, oh, if this word is inerrant, if this is perfect, then I have a whole book to stand upon. I'm thankful for the inerrancy of Scripture. I don't know about you guys. I'm, I'm glad. That we stand in a long line of, of men and women that would say the scriptures are perfect. We go back to the first century, a man named Irenaeus, he said the scriptures, get this, first century. Been, Christians have been saying this since the first century. He said the scriptures are indeed perfect since they were spoken by God and the Holy Spirit. John Wycliffe, as he was testifying to the truth of this of the Bible and trying to translate it and died for these things because he knew they were perfect. All the church fathers believed these words are perfect. All the medieval theologians believed these words were perfect. All the reformers believed these words were perfect. We believe these words are perfect. We stand on that truth here tonight in this church. In this generation when everybody else is falling away, church after church is falling away, we stand on the inerrancy of scripture you know why we do this because this book has been and is now under attack and that's my second point it took me a while to get there number one is the inerrancy of scripture number two is the issue with scripture what's the problem what's the issue we have here and that's coming back to this text the problem here it says or People are apt to add to or take away from the words of this book. People are apt to mess with this book. People are apt to twist this book. And God here says in this, here it is, if you mess with the Bible, if you mess with this book, he makes it very clear, God will mess with you. That's what it says here. We just got done saying this is a perfect book. Why would anybody want to mess with perfection? I mean, this is it. We, we're, we're done. We have it all. You can't add to it. There's no more revelation to be had. There's no more prophecies. There's no more, the canon is closed. There's no more books to be added. I mean, that's what he'd be saying when he says added to. That means that after revelation, after this page of my Bible, 1,161, somebody's going to come along. You know what they're going to do? They're going to say, let's add another page. Let's add 1,162. Let's make 63. Let's just keep adding to it. And he says, don't you dare do that. Don't you add to this book. It's done. It's over. No more dreams. No more visions. No more revelation. It's over. This page is the last page. Don't add. And somebody's going to come along and they're going to add to, you know what else? Take scissors to this Bible. And say, you know what? I don't like that. Cut, 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 cut. <laughs> I don't think Jesus actually said that. Cut, 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 cut. And people have been cutting on their Bibles for centuries. And that's what he says, don't you dare do it. Don't you be one of those people that adds to it or takes away from it. Don't you do that. And if you do, God will mess with you. <laughs> I like this. If you cut out of this, if you cut, 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 then God's going to cut, cut, cut you out of heaven. That's what it says. I mean, these aren't my words. These are, are God's words. And you know what? They're perfect. So don't you cut. Don't you add. If you add to God's word, he'll add to you hell, the plagues. You say, okay, 
This is scary. Have I done that? Am I in danger of hellfire because I've cut or I've added? Let me explain to you what this means, and I'll just take a few minutes to do this. This is what it's not. This does not mean ignorance. A lot of people are ignorant of the Bible. That don't mean they cut out or they took away. This does not mean an error in judgment or an error in discernment or a bad interpretation. If it meant that, we'd all be in trouble. This does not mean a miswriting. I used to think that. I used to, as I would write my sermons out years ago, I'm not as, I'm not as meticulous about it as I used to be, but I wanted to make sure that every word was exactly as Scripture said. I, you know, and if one, I would do that. And if one was wrong, I'd wad it up, throw it away, and redo it again. That's not what this means. He's not talking about if you accidentally misquote a verse. Because if that was the, the case, we'd all be in big trouble. Every single one of us. I misquoted a verse this morning. Oh, you know, no, no way. Yeah, I've misquoted verses tonight. That's not what this means, to, to miswrite it or to, or to misquote it. We may never, we will never understand it all. We will never be able to explain it all. We'll never be able to, to interpret it with 100% accuracy. And then we'll never have that. We'll never know the depths of it. But you know what? We still love it. We honor it. We respect it. I never want to mess with it. I don't want to cut nothing out. I don't want to add nothing to it. I want to be 100% accurate in everything I say. I'm doing my very best with it. I love this book. I respect this book. I honor this book, even if I make mistakes with this book. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about people who have no does not honor it, and they have no respect at all for the Word of God. That's what he's talking about here. Not people who innocently make mistakes with the Word of God. We all do that. He's talking about those who are blatantly, deliberately falsifying and distorting his book. Those who will willfully mutilate it. It's like somebody who's poisoning their own food. That's what he's talking about here. Let me show you what people do to it. Number one is they'll destroy it. That's outright enemies of the Bible. They'll attack the ones who have it. They'll attack the ones who preach it. And they'll attack the Bible itself. You may never come across these people. They're outright enemies of the Bible. They will destroy it. There'll be laws throughout history. There's been laws that's been made against the Bible. Diocletian in third century Rome made a law that said if you had a copy of the Bible and you did not surrender it, you would die. That's a, a, a straight-up attack on the Bible. And then he made another law because it didn't work. If you know of somebody that has a Bible and you refuse to report it, you were in danger of death. So if you knew I had a Bible and you didn't tattle on me, not only would I die, but you would die. That was in the third century Rome. And, and he quoted it here. I have completely exterminated the Christian writings from the face of the earth. Little did he know. The Middle Ages, Catholics burned thousands of Bibles. In 1778, a man named Voltaire said, In a hundred years, the Bible will be swept from existence into oblivion. Little did he know that right after he died, his own printing press would be printing Bibles. Men have died at the gallows and at the stake, all for possessing and preaching a Bible. That is a destruction of the Bible itself. 
That's not a cut, cut, cut. That's not an add to. That is a let's take this book and throw it in the fire so nobody can have it. That he means that there. And if you do that, and I know none of you are doing that, but you're in danger. The second thing that happens, not just destroy it, but distort it. These are those who have the scissors. These are those who are adding some, adding 1,162 and 63 and 64. These are Mormons that will add to the Word of God. These are Jehovah's Witnesses. That they'll, they'll, I talked to a Jehovah's Witness at the weight room just the other day and deny that Jesus is God. I take them to John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. You just sit there and read that to him. He says, oh, no, no, that verse isn't in there. Cut, cut, cut. I don't like hearing that about Jesus, so I'll just cut it out. Thomas Jefferson, you guys, we love Thomas Jefferson in Virginia. You know what he did? Cut out all the miracles of Jesus in the New Testament. Cut, cut, cut. Red letter Christians, they're out there today. They're in your college's campuses today. You know what they do? They only believe the red words. I love the red words. We preach the red words in Matthew. Those words are the words of Christ. But you know what? The words in red are just as inspired as the words in black. They're all the word of God. Every last one. Just because you don't like everything else doesn't mean that you can cut, 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 cut. Distort the word of God. Jews... They don't believe any of the New Testament, but they'll also cut, cut, cut Isaiah 53 out of their Old Testament. Anything that would be salt in the wound of their conscience and say, oh, cut, 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 cut. Anything I don't like. People do that all the time. I, I don't like this in the Bible. Cut, 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 cut. I, I don't think this is a sin. Cut, cut, cut. You know why they don't like that? Because they want to do that sin. That's, that's how it works. You want to be a homosexual? Let's cut out a whole chapter in the Bible. Cut, cut, cut. I see it all the time. You, and I might offend somebody here, but it happens repeatedly in our culture today. I got a woman preacher. <laughs> Show me. I, I did that with a, some, a woman preacher this the other day. <laughs> Opened up my Bible. I said, here's what my Bible says. She said, you need to get another Bible. <laughs> you know what I did? I pulled out five Bibles out of my shelf. And I said, I got plenty. You find one. Find one you like. Because she just kept cut, 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 cut. She is purposely distorting the Bible to fit what she wants it to say. And it happens. You've you got to be careful with distorters. They'll add to or take away. They have a hammer to try to crush the Word of God or scissors to cut it out. I'll say this. they got glue to try to put something in the back. You know, we'll st stick something in here. No, 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 no. I'll give you another one. Not just those who destroy it, but those who distort it and those who deny it. The most subtle enemy to Scripture and the most dangerous are those who just simply deny it. Again, it's closely related to distortion. They'll on purpose deny Scripture just to make it say what they want it to say. The Bible speaks of those who deny judgment. 2 Peter 3, false teachers who will teach that there's no judgment. That there's peace, peace when there is no peace. The Bible speaks of those who deny the person and the work of Christ. That there's another way to get to heaven other than the Lord Jesus Christ. False teachers will do that all the time. 
Our buddy Joel Osteen got on Larry King one day, and Larry King said, what about Jews? What about this one? What about that one? What about Muslims? They're all sincere. Aren't they going to get to God? And Joel Osteen said this. Listen to this. And just listen to how bold he was. He said this. I quote, I don't know. You can laugh at that one. <laughs> I don't know. That's what he said. Scripture is clear. Cut, 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 so that he don't get himself cut, cut, cut from television and get his cut, cut, cut check taken away from it. Josh is on fire tonight, ain't he? <laughs> the Bible speaks of false teachers who will deny that we're supposed to live holy lives. Second Peter 2, 2. The scripture speaks of false teachers who will deny the return of the Lord Jesus Christ and say he's not coming back. Cut, cut, cut. The Bible teaches, speaks of false teachers who are untaught, unstable, unprincipled, arrogant, and unteachable men who will cut things out of Scripture to fit their own narrative. And these types of people, you've got to be careful, will pull in the vulnerable, immature, and the weak. Second Timothy says it's, it's apt to pull in women without teachers. You've got to be careful. That's how they add to and how they take away. And now he gives us the punishment. I'm closing. I don't want to, but I'm getting there. The punishment here, he says, if you do these things, that's three ways. If you destroy it, if you distort it, if you deny it. I thought about adding a fourth one there if you doubt it. You've got to be careful. The first thing that Satan did when he crept up on Adam and Eve was made them doubt the Word of God. It begins with doubt, then it becomes deny, then it becomes distorted, and before you know it, you're trying to destroy it. Satan knows how to get you to doubt it. The punishment here, back to these scriptures. For I testify unto every man that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book, if any man shall add unto these things, God will add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. God will add the plagues. You see that? Add plagues. Several, there's several in Revelation, but I've already said this. The nearest plague to this verse, which is the one most closely related to it, is the plague of hell. If you add words to this book, then God will add hell to your eternity. That's the judgment. That's the punishment. That's what the warning says. And then it goes on to say, if any man shall take away from the words of the book of this prophecy, take away, cut, 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 from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his part out of the book of life and out of the holy city and the things which are written in this book, the rewards that are written in this book, the glories that are written in this book. Uh, you, you can even say Revelation 22 when he talks about the, the glories of heaven as we work our way through there. He takes your part away from that. If you add to these words, if you take away to, from these words, he will punish you. You'll have no part in heaven and you'll be sent to hell. True Christians would never do this to the Word of God. It's a very serious warning to those who will attack. But you know what? They still attack. So I want to show you a last point and we'll close. And it is the invincibility of Scripture. The invincibility of Scripture. I've showed you the inerrancy. I've showed you the issue. I want to show you the invincibility of Scripture. Because this, this revelation is ended now. We go through verse 20. He which testifies to these things saith, Surely I come quickly. 
Amen. Even so, come Lord Jesus. We're at the end. You see that? Verse 21. The grace. I love the grace. I thought about preaching one more sermon, but I don't want to carry it on any further than I had to. I was just going to preach one sermon on the grace. That's it. Just to show you the grace. He ends it in grace. So he's ending it here. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. And I want you to see that word, amen. It's over. It's done. We agree. Revelation is, is finished. And that word, amen, was written in 95 A.D. Somewhere around about that. It's the last book and the last word of the Bible. I was talking to Isaiah the other day. I don't know if he's reading by himself or what, but he said, Dad, do you know the last word of the Bible is amen? And I said, amen. Yeah, it is. I, I know I ain't got time for this, but I was at Gracie's piano recital earlier today, and they had those old-fashioned fans that you get when you get hot, and on the front of it, it said amen. And I said, I want to get 150 of those things. I just want people to hold them up when they get happy. Just say, amen, amen. <laughs> That'd be great. Just people holding up their fans. Isaiah brought one back there to me, and it said, hallelujah. And I said, oh, man, we need both of those. Amen, hallelujah. You know, that's, that's what I get for being in a Pentecostal church. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but that amen was written in 95 AD. Understand that. First century. And for centuries, since that last word was written, it has been repeatedly over and over and over, generation after generation, even today, it has been attacked. From that point, I'll say even back to Genesis 1, God's word has been under attack. And as he closed out the canon, as he closed out Scripture in verse 21, it has been attacked over and over and over by those who would distort it, by those who would deny it, by, by those who, who are after the words of God. But understand this, since 95 A.D. the Word of God has been attacked, but there's an old song that says the old book still stands. It's invincible. They can't do nothing with it. All the hammers that have been tried upon the anvil of the Word of God are laid aside, broken, and they've been tried over and over and over to attack and to ruin and to cut. The, the hammers are on the side. The scissors are on the side. All that have been added has been thrown away. And the Word of God still stands here today. After all those attacks, God has endured and persevered with His Word. They might as well have been trying to put out the sun. I love that. They can't do it. The strongest forces of hell have been unleashed on the Bible for centuries. And understand this, there's more Bibles in the world today than there's ever been. Do you get that? Satan has unleashed all the demons of hell to try to stop the Bible. Get that? He's tried everything he can do. And there's more Bibles than any other book in the world. He can't stop it. He can't contain it. The more he attacks, the more it goes out. Here we are 2,000 years later, and every single one of us have a Bible in our hand. It is invincible. The Word of God stands. I love that. It's the invincibility of the Word of God. It's incapable of being overcome or subdued. I love that. It is. I, I'm going to give you seven pictures of the Bible here. You ready? Just to close out this sermon. I, I love this. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it. Because I don't know he's going seven points. <laughs> just, just get this. It's invincible. Why is it invincible? Because number one, the Bible is a sword that pierces. 
Hebrews 4, 12 and 13 says that the, the Word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword. That it pierces and divides us, uh, us, the bones and the marrow, the spirit. It gets in deep into us. It's a sword that pierces. It's, it's not a, a feather that tickles. It's a sword that pierces down into us. It, it's, it's not a dead book. It's a, it's a living book, Hebrews says. It's full of energy. It's not, it's not flat. It's not tired. It's never dull. When I open this book, I could come up here tired and, and overwhelmed and, and not ready to do anything. But this book opens and life flows into the church. It's living and active. It's sharp. It surges through me and, and, and through the church. Get this. I'm going to be, I've already said a lot of things I shouldn't say, not probably. Get myself in trouble. This church was dead as a doornail when I came here. It was. You, you all know that. How did, you, how did you bring life, Josh? I met with the guys when they first brought me in here. What are you going to do? What's your plan? My plan is to open the book. And when you open the book, you know what it does? It breathes life into the place. And there's life here today. There's not life here because I'm passionate or I'm sweaty or anything like that. It's passionate. It's life because the Word of God is here. I love that. It's sharp. It cuts. It's, it's razor sharp, penetrating deep into our lives. I'll give you another one. The Bible's not just a sword that pierces. It's a mirror that reveals. <laughs> It'll show you who you really are. You ever been trying to take a picture with your phone and you, the camera's backwards? And before you know it, you see yourself like that close. <laughs> and you're like, whoa, I'm not as good looking as I thought I was. <laughs> That's what a mirror does. It shows you who you really are. In the Word of God, James 1.23 says it's a mirror. That it, when it's preached and when you read it, it's like putting a mirror in front of your faces and saying this is who you really are. I grew up, mom and dad thought I was the greatest thing ever was. I never did anything wrong. I'd play a basketball game and I'd get done. Mom said, that's the best basketball playing I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> it probably was. <laughs> you know, you have all these people, as, as an athlete, you have all these people telling you how great you are. And then you open up the Bible and you're like, I'm not as great as everybody says I am. Whoa, that's really who I am. That's why some people don't want to come to church and have the Bible open because it shows them who they really are. And they will run as fast as they can in the other direction because they don't want to see it. The Bible is the sword that pierces. It's a mirror that reveals. It's a seed that plants. First Peter 1.23 says it's the incorruptible seed that will get into our hearts and we'll be born again by it. When I get up here and preach, it's like I'm throwing out seed. And that seed will get into lost people's hearts. And it will change their hearts. And they'll be born again by the incorruptible seed of the Word of God. I do that with my kids. I told you to talk about that this morning. That I, all I want to do is, is make our whole house gospel seed. So that everywhere they go, I'm just planting it in their heart. They're planting it in their heart. They'll do something terrible and get in trouble. And I'll look at them and I'll say, well, you know what that means? They'll say, what? You're a sinner. Oh, I know, Dad. And I'll say, you know what that means? You deserve judgment. Yes, I know. I deserve a whipping. But Dad's withholding the whipping from you. and going to give you grace. And you'll be forgiven. Just showing your kids the, the seed of the gospel that, that will plant into their, into their lives. This is, this is what will change people's hearts. This is what will change people's lives. It's not politics. It's not philosophy. It's not the culture. It's not social justice. It's the, the Word of God. 
plant the seed into the pews and watch, watch it grow. Sow the seed, sow the Bible, and you'll reap in souls. If you want more salvations in the church, preach more Scripture. That's the seed. I'll give you another one. You want another one? That's just three. We've got four more. The Bible's a sword that pierces. It's a, a mirror that reveals. It's a, a seed that plants. It's milk that nourishes. <laughs> don't you love that? If you want to develop, that's 1 Peter 2, 2 and 3. I don't have to tell you that. It says it's the pure milk of the Word. That's how we grow by. If you want to grow as Christians, if you want to be strong Christians, if you want to be big and, and have a strong church, you don't have to have a, a big church, but if you want to have a strong church, you preach the Word. That's the milk we grow by. That's the immune system that will keep us from false teachers and all the, all the different things that are out there. The stronger we are, the more we can face the world. How can we be strong? Drink the milk of the Word. I'll give you another one. I know you guys are saying, come on now, I, I get you. You know what else it is? It's a sword that pierces. It's a mirror that reveals. It's a seed that plants. It's milk that nourishes. It's a lamp that shines. Thy word is a lamp unto thy feet and a light unto thy pathway. It's, it's a dark world. And the word of God is the light. If you want light in the church to know the pathway you ought to go and how you ought to live and what you need to do, then you need the word of God to show you that. It is the light. This pulpit right here ought to be the brightest place in Big Stone Gap. This church ought to be shining with the word of God. You know the best compliment you can get after a sermon? People say all the, people will say sometimes, I'll say all the time, good sermon, Josh. But the best compliment you can get is, I see that now. It was so simple, it was right in front of my eyes. It's light shining on the word. I'll give you another one. Two more, we'll go. We'll go. A sword that pierces, it's a mirror that reveals, it's a seed that plants, it's a milk that nourishes, it's a lamp that shines, it's a fire that consumes. Jeremiah 23, 29 says, Is not my word like fire? You hear that? It's like fire. It's like Jonathan Edwards. You guys knew I'd go somewhere at the Great Awakening, didn't you? It's like Jonathan Edwards, sinners in the hands of an angry God, when he opened up and let loose that 1730, 1740. In Northampton, Massachusetts, in his church, it rained down like fire in that place. And they said people in the pews were holding on for dear life, that they could see themselves hanging by a thread from, from the hell, knowing that at any time God could come with and, and, and cut them and drop them into hell. And they were shaking and they were screaming and they were, they were weeping and they, and they were running to the altar to be saved. The Word of God hit them like fire. It's a red-hot book. Do you get that? Red hot. I'll give you one more. Let's make sure I get every one of them in here. It's a sword that pierces. It's a mirror that reveals. It's a seed that plants. It's milk that nourishes. It's lamp that shines. Fire that consumes. And oh boy, it's a hammer that shatters. Jeremiah 23, 29 says, again, same verse, Is not my word like fire, declares the Lord, and like a hammer which shatters the rock. I love that. 
Oh boy, you better believe it's like a hammer. And my boys love to, to they, they love to watch those demolition shows. They, they love it. They, they love watching those old guys go in there and they want me to, to help them demolish things. And I don't do that sort of thing. They said, Dad, will you give me for my birthday a sledgehammer? <laughs> if your, I said, if your mom will get me a chainsaw, I'll get you a sledgehammer and we won't have anything left at the house. <laughs> Yeah, no, and they'll say it says no. <laughs> they love seeing those guys go in there and just demolish houses. They just want to take one, one knock at a wall, Dad. Tell me something I can knock down. You say, how in the world does, that, does the Bible have anything to do with a hammer? Oh, it will demolish. It'll come in and it'll tear you down and bring you to your knees. It'll humble you. It'll crush you like a weight. To the point that all of us have been there, every single one of us in this room, the Bible has been like a hammer that crushed our souls. That you're sitting in the pew and you sit there and you say, oh, and you, oh, oh, and all of a sudden before you know it, you're sitting there just being weighed down by it. It just hurts. Every, every blow, the Word of God is, is hitting you. Have you ever been sitting through a sermon like that? And you're like, Josh, you got to stop, man. That hurts. You're hitting me. You know what God is doing? Humbling you. Crushing you. Bringing you to your knees so that you will look up to Him and receive grace. That's what those guys do on those shows. You know that? I've watched so many of them. They knock it down in order to build it back up. I told my boys, you can demolish something in the house, but you better put something back up in its place. Because that's what God does with His Word. He will demolish you. He will demolish your home. He will demolish your marriage in order to make it stronger and better. He'll demolish churches. You know what he does? That happens all the time in churches. A preacher will come in, open up the book, and all of a sudden, before you know it, he's crushing, he's crushing, he's crushing, and it's splitting and going in all kinds of different directions. But in no time, it's building, and it's growing, and it's better than it's ever been before. That's what God's Word does. I had a professor tell me in seminary, you better be careful you go into a church and preach the Bible. It's a sledgehammer. It is. It swings with force. It crushes pride. It shatters self-righteousness. It'll break hard hearts. Aren't you glad it broke your hard heart? I had a hard heart. And you know what crushed it? The Word of God being preached. It'll give you a death blow. And if you ain't ever sit through a sermon where you've been hit hard, your heart might be hard. When was the last time you said, oh, yeah, that, that hit, ooh, you know. That's what the Word of God does. We ought to be praying for these things. There'll be a sword that pierces. There'll be a mirror that reveals who I am. It'll be a seed that plants within our hearts. It'll be milk that nourishes and makes us strong. Hour-long sermons are sermons that make you strong. It'll be a lamp that shines, fire that consumes, a hammer that shatters us and brings us to our knees. This is what the Word of God is, and it is invincible. It's been doing these things for centuries, and it will be doing it until Jesus returns, and He will return. You say, what do we do with this, Josh? With this invisible, invincible picture of Scripture, there's only two things that we can do with it. 
for preachers, and that's me, who preach the Word. That's all we can do. Preach the Word, Paul said to Timothy. At the very end of his life, as he was getting ready to lose his head for preaching the Word, he's passing the baton off to Timothy, and he doesn't tell Timothy, take it easy, Timothy. <laughs> Keep it cool. Keep everything peaceful. He says, swing the hammer. He says, wield the sword. Nourish him with milk. That's what he's saying there. Preach the Word, Timothy. And when do you do it? You do it in season and you do it out of season. You do it when they love it. You do it when they hate it. You do it when they won't show up. And you do it when the pews are full. You do it all the time. Preach the Word. That's what preachers do. Preachers got to preach. That's what we do. Unapologetically, unequivocally, we stand on the Word and we preach the Word. We let it loose and we let it fly. So what does Christians do? I just recorded a podcast this week and I said Christians need to beg for the Bible. People in the pew need to sit down and say, preach to us. We want it. We beg for it. We need it. We want more Bible. Josh, stop it with the, the announcements. We don't want more announcements. Give us five more minutes of Bible. Give us Bible. That's what we want. That's what makes us strong. That's what helps us face life in that world out there. We need more Bible. That's what we need. We need to read it with understanding. We need to believe it. We need to obey it. We need to live by it. We need to die by it. Why? Because it is the very Word of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word. What, what a wonderful, wonderful Word we have. May we live by it. May we believe it. May we obey it. May we read it. May we understand it. May we preach it. May we stand upon it. And may we, if it's called to do that, die for it. Go to the gallows. Be willing to lose our neck for Your Word. Be willing to be burned alive for Your Word. To stand upon Your Word when the rest of the world is bowing down, may we still stand. At this church in my life, may we stand for the Word of God. Give us that grace. Give us that courage. Give us that boldness to be what You have called us to be. And in everything that we do, we do it with love. And we ask and we pray these things in Jesus' name. And what a powerful message that was indeed. And now joining with me today in the studio is Pastor Josh Tompkins. Josh, we hear about so many people today talk and write about hearing from God in the form of new revelations. These revelations have been said to have come from dreams, from still quiet voices, or even from different weather elements. Explain to our listeners today how we as believers can understand which revelations are of God and which ones are not. And tell us how we can regard new revelations in light of this passage in Revelation. Well, that's an interesting question, especially the way you worded it there with the, the, the dreams I've heard of, the still quiet voices I've heard of, the weather elements are new to me. Uh, but it's really a simple question. How do we know if uh, revelations are from God or not? First of all, if it's Bible, it's from God. We know that. We know that the Bible is God's um, inspired, inerrant, infallible word. So we understand that if, if it comes from the Bible, it is of God. That's simple. That's easy. Uh, second, if it's not the Bible, it better line up with the Bible or it's not from God. Uh, that's, that's very clear. If somebody comes and tells me something that opposed, is opposed to the Bible, is the opposite of the Bible, 
uh, then I want to tell them that that's not from God. God will not contradict himself one place in his word and another place in your vision, your voice, your dream, your weather elements. He doesn't contradict himself. And then third, just as, as a way of... Uh, answering the, the question of are there is there new revelation that, that's a simple answer the revelation 22 makes it clear there will be no new revelation that's the end of it when it says amen at the end of revelation 22 that's that's it there will be no pages added to the bible no chapters no books no visions it's done we will not hear from god outside of his word again until jesus returns that's just the reality of it. So nothing outside the Bible, whether it's the Book of Mormon, whether it's the Watchtower, Jehovah's Witnesses, whether it's uh, whatever it may be, there's plenty of those out there. Whatever it is, it's, it's, uh, there's none. There's zero. It's final. So we lean on, we trust in, and we rely completely upon the Word of God, which is in the 66 books of the Bible. Thank you, Josh. And we'd like to remind our listeners that if you or someone you know are suffering from an overpowering addiction of any kind or in need of clothing, or you just want to be surrounded by a loving family for a warm meal, check us out online for a list of all of our services and ministries here at West End. Come by and see us. Our doors are open to everyone. We hope you've enjoyed today's episode. If you'd like more information, please visit our website at www.westendbsg.org.